Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Lay Bear podcast, an audio experience designed to decode leadership and inspire action. Being a forward-thinking leader and game-changer, you've tuned in to discover pragmatic tips and hints on leadership from the very best leaders. Each episode is dedicated to sharing pragmatic stories from the field and more importantly, real examples of what successful leaders are actually doing to deliver at pace. There's so much to share. Let's hand over to your host, Graham Wilson. Welcome to the show. I'm really delighted to welcome Dave Damon onto the show today. I'm really excited about this because I've known Dave for a number of years now, initially as a client, and uh, he's that good. I wanted him to come and work at Success Factory. So he's been working with us here at Success Factory as a senior trainer, looking at leadership development and team development for a number of years now. Um, so really delighted to welcome him onto the show. He's recently authored and launched an amazing book called Team Foundations, the building box of high-performing teams. So the purpose of this session is to really get into Dave's mind about why he's written the book, but also to share a little bit about the book and share his experiences, because we've had a, a similar a similar journey uh, in leadership uh, from military uh, into corporate world. So great to hear that from Dave, but more importantly about what he thinks about the importance of team building today uh, and also about how you actually build teams because as leaders, you know, that's essentially what we need to do. So welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Graham. Yeah. Thanks for that uh, amazing introduction. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> My pleasure. Great to see you uh, on the show uh, and also really to, to pick your brains really. And, and as, as you know, these shows are really about practical insights about leadership and teams and how you actually do it. So, um, Perhaps for people who don't know who you are, Dave, perhaps tell us a little bit about um, your journey to where you are today. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to trawl my memory banks for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd probably maybe go back to the beginning, I guess. It's usually the best place to start. Um, so uh, the usual kind of route of school. Uh, I didn't really... Um, school didn't really do it for me, if I'm honest, at the time. Uh, and I was very much... Uh, a person who needed to be outdoors and I felt quite constrained in a classroom and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, I, I just wanted to be outdoors and from a very early age, I had it in my mind, that's it, I'm gonna go and do something adventurous. Uh, so I, I left school at 16 with minimum qualifications. Uh, I think I had one O level uh, and that's how old I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then a couple of GCSEs, I was kind of in that transition period. Yeah, okay. Uh, I had a couple of, uh, couple of sort of jobs while I was waiting really to join the army. So I joined the army at an early age. I joined as a junior uh, and I joined um, what was a very, very, very alpha dominated uh, environment of the parachute regiment. Uh, mm. And to be honest, struggled with that initially. Mm. It, it was a, a very different world. So I spent a bit of time uh, in the military, but then I then left actually and spent a bit of time almost finding myself outside. <laughs> You know, yeah. that, that cliche of, um, I, want, I need to go and find myself. Uh, which I, did. Uh, I had several jobs working, uh, uh, you know, loads of different jobs. I learned a few different skills, um, but nothing really grabbed me. No, mm. You know, I, I struggled to find my niche in life. Uh, and I ended up actually back in the military after a few years out. Uh, so I rejoined the military uh, mm. and then that, that kind of led me on a path for the next 15 years uh, in the military doing various different jobs i'm sure we can dip into some of that during during mm. the chat but yeah, um, sure. yeah and then uh, having left the military uh, pre-40 years old uh, i i sort of was looking for the next adventure really uh, i did a lot of work in terms of 
um, charity work. I did some work with uh, offenders working in, okay. in, in, with, with offenders, which was great. Um, and it's really all because of my background of psychology, really. Mm. Anything to do with people and helping people is, is a big interest to me. Uh, I ended up in the corporate world, inevitably, uh, and spent a good few years in the corporate world, which again was great. I learned so much from the corporate world, uh, half of not what not to do, was some great life lessons to learn. Uh, and then I ended up, uh, I was actually out walking and I stumbled across this amazing place called Success Factory. And uh, I thought, that looks good. Uh, and then, you know, that, that's, a, that's a whole different story. But yeah, that, that brought me to basic where I am now, which is um, as a senior consultant really at, at, at uh, Success Factory. Mm, fantastic. So lots of learning along the way. It's interesting how the military uh, gives you that, that grounding for personal development, isn't it? And uh, you know, that realization that you can achieve so much more than you thought was possible. And yeah, it was interesting that you got into psychology, which was very similar to myself around, yeah, you know, how does how does this mind work and how does that link to the body and how does that help me to improve performance? So it's really fascinating um, around that and a similar journey to myself. What was it that really got you into developing teams? Because obviously that's the subject of your book. Hmm. What what was it that that really drove that and, and that fascination about you know, how you how you work with teams and how you can get the best out of teams. So, what what really drove that? Probably from an early early stage, really. I think when I first joined the real working world as an adult, it, it was in the back of my mind. I think, and I think I used to watch. I'm, I'm very much an observer. I like mm. observing things. And uh, I remember looking at people. I, I was far too timid to say anything and you know nowhere near experienced enough to get really involved in any any aspect but just kept it in my mind really i just looked at how teams operated and how people dealt with other people mm. uh, and and then as, as i progressed slightly you know getting into my 20s i guess I, I used to look and think what is it that makes why why was that team successful C certainly in the time i was you know really into sport and i was, I was yeah. thinking about you know what why why is that team successful or is that not? Because there's very little difference between, mm. you know, really on the surface, the people in those teams, you know, they all do the same kind of thing, you know. Mm. Why are some successful and some not? And then some of the teams I worked with in the military were, were mostly, mostly highly successful. Mm. And, and it became very clear to me very early on that there are some very key core traits that teams have that are successful. So it's, it's always been a fascination for me. And, you know, and back to the psychology point of understanding how people operate in groups. It's a fascinating, fascinating sort of social, you know, experiment, really. It's a continual experiment in life, isn't it? You know? Yeah, it's, it's really nice that you, you can you can have a team, can't you, with similar sort of skills between one team and the next team, but one team is performing better than the other team. And it was really interesting. I posted something yesterday, which I thought was quite fascinating. I'm uh, doing a, a global program at the moment and I want to try and find some case studies of, of different countries and, and I looked into the uh, German football team about how they became so successful to win the World Cup and one of the coaches came across to the UK and was working I think it was Aston Villa I think and he said uh, yeah how, how many hours uh, do your youth teams get in education and uh, the German guy said well yeah we, we do something like about 34 hours I think is in terms of education and the English coach laughed and said that, you know, we, we do nine. Hmm. And I thought that was quite, quite fascinating because the German belief was that, you know, to be successful on the pitch, you've got to have an education to be able to get the brain working, to be able to make decisions effectively, to have that intellect. And that, 
I thought that was very fascinating there that you might have the same skill level, but the team can perform better because of the way they can make decisions and the way they can actually intellectualize what's actually happening in front of them and make some really good uh, interactions and changes happen. So I guess that's probably what you were saying, wasn't it? You, you saw in those teams that you were looking at that there was something, some secret source, I guess, that was different <laughs> that caused yeah. them to, to be successful. So I'm sure people listening are going to say, well, what was it, Dave? <laughs> and I know, <laughs> I know obviously you outlined it in your book and uh, it was really interesting. I, I noticed on the back of it, you've got a, a fantastic testimonial from Brigadier Lee Tingley, uh, Chief of Staff uh, at Joint Command in the UK. You know, team foundations are the must read for anyone who aspires to be part of or lead a high performing team. Read it, you'll not be disappointed. So what were some mm. of the things that, that you found that you know, these successful teams are actually doing? Well, it's interesting you mentioned Lee. Uh, Lee, Lee was fairly instrumental uh, and actually in my thought process from very early on. So I, I met Lee way back uh, I'm trying to think when it was probably 2005 2006 mm. something like that around yeah. that time uh lee lee was my officer commanding um but actually from from a very very early point having met him i realized he had some amazing traits of a leader right. um which which i really what which really resonated with me mm. uh, what, what we got on days? very well what were, again? what were those his traits, his, yeah. his, his biggest trait, and I've always said this about Lee, uh, is that he's human. Right. And, yeah. uh, and he, he, he's got a, an amazing ability to communicate with people in a way that fits the person he's communicating with. Okay. Uh, he, he's also a realist. Uh, so the, the, there's so many different aspects of, around Lee, which um, you know, make him, in my view, a, gr a great leader. And he still mm. continues to be yeah. to this day. And I take my hat off to him for, for continuing to do what he does. Okay. Uh, it's really that aspect of that, that human aspect, that, that idea that he's very, you know, he, he will admit mistakes that, that teams have made, that he's mm. made, that, that you know, yeah. that, that have happened, but he learns from them importantly. Uh, and he's very open, very open yeah. and honest with things. Uh, and he talks to people, you, you feel uh, you feel an equal when, okay. when you talk to him. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. e even now when, when I chat to him, um, you know, mostly at a distance now, of course, but it's uh, even though he's he's a very high-ranking and much respected officer, he's he's somebody you can talk to very very easily. Fantastic, uh, and yeah. he's, he's got that connection with people. Yeah, um, and yeah. I think it's I mean actually quite relevantly recently, you know, Captain uh, Sir Tom Moore, rest in yeah. peace. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think he said um, a quote, you know, around the lines of you know, I think you rather have to like people, uh, you know, and see that there is good in everybody. Yeah. to be a, a great leader of a team and then you can you know you can bring things out of people yeah. so okay. lee was very good at that and so yeah. he he started my thinking as part of my process of thinking about what makes a team and part of that clearly is, is leadership which yeah. i know is an area you're you're yeah. very very um versed in uh, and have a lot of knowledge on uh leadership is, is part of a team and i think it's quite interesting actually that that, that, that the model of leadership uh, and this is my view which is shared by by a few mm. i believe now but my view is that the, the leadership model has moved from that individual leader yeah. to, to one of a team. You know, I, I, it's fairly common sense that you can't really lead if you haven't got a team, but mm. it, it's, it, mm. it's moved. It, the model mm. has moved. Yeah. And that's partly the reason for the book, you know, got me thinking about all these different traits. Yeah. 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 Was that one of the things in the military is that, you know, whoever's got the knowledge is in, is in charge. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. no point in you uh, trying to lead something if you don't know what the answers are and, or someone can see where the enemy are. Yeah. It's that shared leadership role. Which yeah. I think is is key, and I think that's 
particularly important today's world, isn't it, where the pace of change is so fast. It's, you know, it's not possible for you know, the hierarchical leaders to have all the answers anymore, is it? So that's why you need you know, this team and you need that team who are prepared to step up when required. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think certainly from my experiences, military experiences, that's definitely the case. Um, yeah. It's one thing that the corporate world probably continues to need to learn a little bit more. Mm. Um, in, in the military world, maybe it's due to situation and circumstance, but there is an absolute need that that leadership is, you know, diluted to the lowest possible level. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, again, back to Lee is a great example that in, in Afghanistan, he, he was very much like that, as were mm. the entire mm. unit that, that I was working with at the time. And um, it was a case of who knows best. Well, it's it's not me because I'm detached from it. So yeah. I'll ask them and they they will make the decisions. Yeah. You know, they, you know within yeah. certain parameters, but yeah. they, they, they make the decisions. So, yeah. yeah. Give them direction and get out the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I know this is having listened to some of your podcasts, which are brilliant, by the way, is, is listening to this idea that leadership which you know my book is more around teams but actually yeah. the whole thing is all encompassing it's a holistic approach yeah. really yeah is this idea that leaders do create a particular environment and, mm. and that's so so true yeah that, and, and the reason that's important is because you know, I, I sort of allude to it in the book that unless you create the right environment or culture then your team mm. will never be successful mm. so it all mm. boils back down to that cultural piece yeah we've both seen that haven't we? we've talked about it before where you see teams where the leaders so hierarchical command and control and makes all decisions that actually what they've done is created this culture where people stop thinking yeah and that's when it becomes really dangerous isn't it? because you know, it can't possibly one one person having all the answers and you get all these disastrous things happening that we see all the time don't we in, in uh, different organizations so in terms of uh your leadership being key but what else did you find around it because obviously you've got the the team foundations and I know in the book it goes through uh, your experiences in the military and the things you've learned as well and there's some great exercises in there as well to get people thinking so what else were there that do you find then or do you think that are really important for you know, if, I, if I'm a leader in, a, in an organization now where the world is so different than it has been what should I do to really you know create this team and build this team and as you say create this culture of high performance I think probably the biggest thing then certainly from re very recent experience is teams have this idea. So some people in teams have the idea that if the team's already fixed, it can't be changed. Right. Uh, okay. And actually they, they have this idea that in order to build a team, you've got to start from scratch. I.e., You've mm. got to, you know, bring in all of new, new people and, and start yeah. the team from scratch. And that's not always the case. I always say that bringing in more people or different people is always a bonus because you mm. get a different viewpoint, but actually sometimes it's, it's a, a question of, it's almost having a bit of a reality check with where you currently are and this yeah. is about and, and the book does delve into this a little bit more obviously around having open and honest conversations about the reality yeah. of your team currently so yeah. actually stopping and this is something you know i'm sure we all see quite a lot where people just don't have the time to really stop yeah and think about stuff in any great mm -hmm. detail mm -hmm. and it's very much the do so it's very much jump to action jump to strategy yeah. planning yeah and I, I i've kind of almost forgotten how many times I've said to teams, really, you need to stop strategy planning, go back to where your culture is. Yeah. Um, because yeah. you can create the shiniest strategy in the world that, that looks great on paper, but it, it's going to land into in, into a culture that's not ready for it. Absolutely. So, yeah. so really, yeah, I, I guess the, the key thing is, is that cultural piece mm. is understanding and stopping and, and really having an honest conversation about, first of all, what you need your culture to be. Yeah. Then also, 
the harder part is probably yeah. admitting what your culture actually is. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, without necessarily turning that into any kind of witch hunt or blame yeah. culture, it's it's just looking at well, this is what we need. Yeah. Um, and this is what it currently is. So that gives you scope then yeah. to look at what you need to change. And if there is a gap, if there is a difference where you are now and where you want to get to, what have you found really works? You know, culture is saying we need to create a new culture is one thing, isn't it? But actually, as you said there, actually creating it. How do you create a culture? Or is, is something is culture something that follows after actions? You think, or how, how do you how do you you know if, if there's a massive gap, you take over a team, there's a massive cultural issue. How would you tackle that? That's a good question. Um, and if I could give you a very short answer, on one, <laughs> I'd probably be very rich. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I pro probably the easiest way to look at it is to tackle it in almost that, that very short drumbeat kind yeah. of yeah. approach in terms of trying to do, if you try and, if you look at your whole culture and it's very easy to take a mindset. I, I talk quite a lot, certainly in sessions that I run with teams and people around mindset. It's very easy to look at your culture and focus on all the negative aspects or mm. you know i use the mm. word negative it could be aspects that which are hindering you know the, yeah. the progress yeah. of the team it's easy to look at that and then go oh no the whole culture's bad we need to change everything i think it's about perspective it's about understanding that when you when you analyze your culture and in line with what it needs to be yeah for you to be successful then it's understanding that actually it's not all bad and actually there's only probably really a few things that you need to mm. change and mm. it's looking for the things that you could change that have mm. the biggest impact yeah the smallest things you change which have the bigger impact i guess it's about looking at as, as a system i guess isn't it around okay we have a purpose we have a set of values or principles we know what we're trying to achieve from a goal point of view is everything we're doing aligned to that so do we have the right you know recognition the right reward the right infrastructure in place to that really does drive the right activity and right behaviors and i guess that's probably the key to it and it's almost like as you said before to really stop and think and step back a bit and say, okay, well, you know, I'm trying to get my team to collaborate more. I'm trying to get my team to work as a team more effectively. I'm trying to get this shared leadership culture going. I'm trying to get people to step up. But if you're managing them in a, in a command and control way, then it ain't going to happen, is it? Because <laughs> no. yeah, your behavior is misaligned to what you're trying to achieve. So I guess that's probably, probably what you're talking about there, isn't it? Around that, just stepping back and thinking, okay, for example, like we often don't we, we see where teams are trying to be more collaborative or, um, based it more on a team ethos, yet they reward people individually and they set individual <laughs> objectives and yeah. then they expect people to work in a team way where it's not going to happen, is it? So it's that alignment piece, I suppose, isn't it, that, that helps and making sure that everything we have in place is driving, I guess, the culture you, you're trying to create, you know, this high-performance uh, culture uh, where success is inevitable that we talk about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it, you're right. It's, it's connecting, it's putting those dotted lines between things, yeah. you know, com yeah. companies uh, are very good at, uh, and some of them are brilliant when you, when you look at them as well, but they, they, they create some amazing visions, yeah. you know, some a purpose, you know, which is obviously always mm. the starting point. If you, if you've not got an end point in mind, then you don't know how to get there. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so people will write these purposes and visions and I've, I've been and worked with many organizations yeah. who you see, you know, shiny values up on walls and yeah. things on desks, you know, paperweights and stuff and all this kind of great stuff. And, and yeah. on the face of it, they're, they're brilliant. You know, who yeah. wouldn't want those values? And you could probably shoehorn any company into those values. Yeah. yeah. But actually what, what a lot of people struggle with, particularly across a business, if it's a large business, is joining these things together. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this ties in with the leadership piece we're talking mm. about. It's, it's mm. the job of a leader, but actually a team should fully understand yeah. 
you know where those lines meet yeah. you know how these things you know uh, sort of connect together if you like so you know your, your vision and your, and your mission and your objectives that you've got as a business you know do they tie in necessarily yeah. with, with each individual team yeah. members own yeah. values their own uh, idea of what absolutely. good is yeah it's, a, it's one of the questions we ask a lot isn't it around you know so just remind me what the purpose is what the the mission is what the vision is you know what the values are and you can see people's eyes trying to picture the poster on the wall can't you and then you know i always find the question i find the most enlightening is when you say to me say well just out of interest yeah why why do we have values and there's like deathly silence in the room <laughs> fact that no one's really thought through that they're using their values to help create the culture aren't they in, in the organization or the team yeah yeah your values your values are your guide really i i always like to think of it's, it's almost like you know, and I think certainly from your experience, having been out in, out in the open countryside and been in love walking and all that kind of stuff, doing expeditions. Yeah. You know, having been an expedition leader um, myself, I, it, I always use this kind of analogy that it's your your pin in the map. It, it's the end point of the map. So if if you are trying to create a journey for you uh, and your team, you have your your values and your purpose, and that end mm. point is the pin in the map. That's the bit yeah. you're going to you're going to get yeah. to. But actually, it's the journey can take mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. many different routes. But it's still yeah. having in mind where that yeah. end point is, yeah. and the values help keep you on track for that. But, but I think with values is I've seen quite often. I don't know about yourself, Graham, but you've seen that they become just words. Yeah, and bringing them to life is so vitally important. What yeah. do they mean for people? Yeah, it's like when someone says, "Yeah, you know, the value." I don't know. A common one is ethical, isn't it? Well, you know. Isn't that obvious? We want to be ethical. Do we really need to state <laughs> that as a value? So it tells you everything about it, isn't it? You know, um, yeah. I remember being at a workshop once and this, this company had so many different values and we were written them all on the wall about what they meant. And they meant different things to every person in the team. <laughs> and, and I was saying, well, actually, you know, there's, you've got about seven values here. Yeah. Can you really remember seven or should we try and get that down to more of a, I don't know, five, four, even three, if we can do. And at that moment, ethical fell off the wall. And I thought that was a really interesting moment in their, <laughs> in their team journey around, yeah, I wonder why ethical fell off at that moment. Just actually a bit of wind that blew it off the flip chart off the wall. <laughs> so, so you're right, isn't it? I think people play lip service to it, don't they? And, uh, or they might spend a lot of time creating them, um, but then never review or reflect or have feedback or discussions around, are we really living these values? Um, yeah. Are we are we really, you know, behaving in the right way that that is you know driving these principles or values or practices in in, in real life? And uh, you talk in a book, don't you, about the importance of uh, reflection and and uh, reviewing and learning? I think that's the key thing, isn't it? Because that's the sort of bit as a leader gives you that control, doesn't it? As you say, I've got the pin of where we want to get to, but we now need to go on the journey to get there, and that that reflection and reviewing is a key thing. So what have you found that really works with teams to, to do that effectively? I think it's, it's understanding, you know, using the analogy of, of uh, you know, the, the expedition, if you like, the walk to, to a mm. destination, is if you, if you don't review regularly, yeah. then you're going to find that you're going to, you potentially can go way off course. Yeah, and yeah. then it's much harder to come back, you yeah. know, to, 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 your, to, to where you need to be. Whereas if you review more regularly, uh, and, and allow it create that culture of it. it's okay to speak up and it's okay to have regular reviews where we have open discussions yeah. around actually where we're going and, and none of this kind of cloak and dagger stuff or, or smoke and mirrors or hiding anything in terms of 
you know, let's say, for example, you're, you're a leader of a multifaceted team and you've got various leaders underneath you who run their own yeah. parts of the business. It's no good sort of trying to hide things in your own little silo because you yeah. don't want to be seen as bad because yeah. inevitably they will come to the surface at some point and yeah, by which yeah. point you'll be way off track. Yeah, so it's yeah. so much better, I think, to yeah. have that. And, and, you know, the book does talk about having that truth and trust, that culture yeah. of truth and trust, because yeah, yeah. without that, uh, I, I find that, you know, yeah. these meetings have become pointless, yeah. you know, these review meetings. You've got to have people who are willing to say what they think and feel, haven't you, to, to be honest and be vulnerable. Um, and I guess, you know, that's, that's the key, isn't it? Building trust in the team. And how, how, how have you found, uh, or what ways have you found to build trust in teams? What would, you, what would you recommend to people out there who are realizing they need to build trust, yeah, meaning to build relationships and build trust? want to have that healthy conflict in the team, want people to be vulnerable and say what they think and feel, but not sure how to do it. What would you, what would you recommend they do to build trust? I think initially it comes down to team creation or, or rejigging your team if you need to, but understanding that, first of all, people are people and we're yeah. all human beings. And it's not, yeah, yeah it's, it's finding that balance, you know, between people and, and numbers and tasks. So understand who your people are. And certainly one thing that the military was very good at, or I was certainly good at with my team, is understanding who they are as people and actually yeah. knowing them below the surface. And not just not just this, I will remember everyone's name. You know, that, yeah. that's a great start. But actually knowing something about people and what drives them. You know, once you find out what people's intrinsic motivators are, it's, it's a really powerful tool yeah. that you can use within a team. You so know, getting, and, to, getting to know people is, is a key thing then, I guess. Spending yeah, that time, I absolutely. You know, yeah. 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 A lot of teams don't do that, that is, they get stuck on the task straight away, don't they? What do we need to deliver? But then don't spend the time for, you know, that conversation, that dialogue, what, what motivates you, demotivates you, you know, what's your driver, what's your passion? We, we don't spend enough of that. Um, yeah. There's a great quote um, in the book uh, by Donald Miller, which you put in there, which I think is fantastic. It says, when you stop expecting people to be perfect, you can like them for who they are. <laughs> yeah. What a, yeah. What a great what 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 made you put that in the book then what was that where's that come from i i think it's this realization that it's trying to trying to drop the the perfectionists and this is partly driven by myself because uh having done a lot of psychological profiling in my yeah. past with myself and other people of course is understanding you know i'm definitely a perfectionist and sometimes that can really affect yeah. you as a person and then who you lead and, and yeah. the rest of the people around you you know so is understanding that people won't be perfect and this whole idea that people will make mistakes you know yeah. in in the book it, it it there's a there's a whole chapter on you know actions and mistakes so, and yeah. it's really important to understand that they will happen you know and to not focus on those but focus on the holistic view of actually mm. what what did happen what happened completely not just the bad things you know it's that classic you know i think i've heard you say before uh, in either in a podcast um potentially but uh, i've heard you say around this idea when you have a school report yeah you know and you bring your school report did i did i hear that in one of your podcasts yeah the school report Absolutely. you bring a school report home and your parents focus on the bits you're not good at yeah well, why, why do we do that you know let's, <laughs> let's look at also also what we're good at it's not to say yeah. that you negate yeah. the stuff that yeah. needs work you know but and that's uh, where a real performance comes from it i think that's certainly from teams and it about how do you recognize what the team member strengths are then how do you make sure you utilize those skills, allow them to, to operate in a way that uses their strengths, but also builds on those strengths and, and you develop people to use their strengths more. I think we, we do the opposite, don't we? We're taught that you have to find out what people's weaknesses are and send, send them on courses for things they'll never be good at rather than yeah. 
yeah. making sure they can play to position, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I know one of your, your passions in teams is about this whole aspect of, of a team and the way they think and, and the way they make decisions. And I know you um, use a model in the book, the go mad thinking effectiveness model. Perhaps can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how that works with teams? Yeah, so that's a model that uh, Andy Gilbert uh, came up with originally, did, did a lot of research into this. And, and Andy actually trained me on this model. Uh, I was mm. doing some work in a, in a large corporate organization and Andy came in and he, he trained a core group of us on this model. Uh, and his book actually goes into a lot more detail. Um, and it's the, the Art of Making a Difference. Uh, it's, yeah. a, and it's a great book, yeah, I recommend it. Um, so, and it, it really resonated me when Andy took me through this model because from, from my own perspective and my own experience, but also my psychology background, that everything that we do as an individual or as a team centers around how we think. So every, and everything starts with thinking, you know, the yeah. simple thing of picking a pen up or putting yeah. a pen down is, yeah. involves some thought, albeit unconsciously. But so everything we do is driven by thought. So if you can tap into that, and certainly for, for leadership, as you, as you know, is, mm. this is a key thing. If you can tap into this thinking aspect, you can change different people's actions and then the, the results. So, you know, the old cliche saying almost now from Einstein of, you know, if you expect the same result, you know, or a different result, sorry, but take the same action, it's insane. Yeah. You know, that insanity. <laughs> yeah. And it is, you know, Absolutely. But people do, you get stuck in this kind of rut almost of that's, yeah. all, that's the way we've always done it. And it's trying to get some different ways to think. And that's the power of a team as opposed to an individual leadership model is, is mm. the collective are always going to be more innovative than an individual. Yeah, definitely. I know that um, you know one of the things that you do, which helps leaders in terms of teams, is around helping them to think differently, but using models to help them to do that, but also to almost like decode what what you need to do to be an effective uh, team leader, but also create and sustain high performance. And you talk about six key things, don't you, really, in the book around which we've talked about a lot already around you know, the culture and the people. So you've talked about that, haven't you, around, you know, creating this culture, this vision, the values, you know, making sure that um, you're understanding the difference you have in, in the people and the teams. You talked about the importance of having a clear strategy and the processes in place. Truth and trust is something we talked about there, isn't it, about you've got to have the truth. In order to get the truth, you need to build trust. And we talked about one of the, the stepping stones for that is about how you help teams understand each other. From a personality and behavioral point of view we've also talked about you know with the the go mad thinking around knowledge and decision making um which is you know a great way to think about it and then this thing about you know you take action but mistakes can happen but to learn from that so that reviewing sort of stuff and that number six was around challenge and support what what does that really mean and what what are you looking to do from a team point of view in terms of challenge and support so when when i first created that chapter and the idea of that chapter was not necessarily around uh challenge in terms of so for example pushing people outside of their comfort zone it yeah. kind of grew into that and it, it yeah. expanded into that but my initial thinking on that chapter really was this idea that people should be challenged in terms of their ownership of things mm. so it, it it's if you've got as you said earlier and you went through the different stages of the book but if, if you if you've built that culture of truth and trust you create that environment and culture where people are absolutely happy to be to be challenged and to be challenged back yeah. in terms of ownership of things. And this is one thing I did learn in, in the military uh, very, very much so. And, and coming back to Lee, it's something Lee was very good at is this idea that, yes, by all means, if you've got rank, you can challenge people. But it's not about that. It's, it's having that open mindset to be challenged backwards. 
and say, mm. look, you know, boss, this, this this happened, and you know, why did this happen? So having yeah. that ownership of, of stuff, yeah. but also then it expanded, and I thought, well, it, it is more than that. It is about this idea that sometimes you do need to push people outside of their comfort zone, and I know obviously mm. at Success Factory we, we we do that really really well because we we've got the the infrastructure to do that. We've got our mind, our own mindsets as well, which help. Um, but just just taking people on a ropes course, for example, is, is a great uh, sort mm. of starting point to unlock that that thinking and to really challenge people. You know, and I'm sure most of us are, are aware that as soon as you open up your comfort zone, it, it grows. You know, and yeah. you push people outside of it, it will grow. You, it yeah, becomes yeah. easier. Yeah. And I think doing that is is fantastic. And a lot of teams I find are very good at pushing challenges out to people in, in terms of business. Lots more business projects and things happening, and what they tend to negate sometimes is the support that's needed i know in the book i use the analogy of um scaffolding you know it, it's great if you've got a building that's been around for years and it, it, it does its job it's brilliantly as soon as you introduce a change or add something to it you have to use scaffolding you need something to give that support while yeah. it's while it's being built and becomes part of then business as usual in the main structure yeah so yeah, yeah it's that idea of you need both of those things challenges yeah. for I guess if you if you create a high challenge culture, which many leaders do, don't they? Very task focused, deliver focused, but you don't have that support in in place, then that's quite scary, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And support it, it is is many different things for many different people. A lot a lot of uh, people nowadays talk about resiliency, and I know I've I've, I've heard you talk about it as well. In turn, and I've I've seen the Wabasugi stuff you do, which is which is absolutely brilliant. And people often ask me about this resilience thing and, and there's this assumption that you know you, you're in the military therefore you're extremely resilient um yes potentially we, we've been taught some tools and techniques yeah. to help and certainly in the book i mentioned some of those they're, they're more of a personal thing uh, yeah. in terms of tools i think resiliency is one of those resiliency is is something that's difficult to train in terms mm. of you, you can't simply just go on a, on a program or a course and then suddenly you're resilient i think it's a mindset yeah. thing yeah yeah. Uh, and it's understanding and this is why teams are so important is because resiliency in a group is much more powerful than individual resiliency definitely it's one of the things we talk about in resilience and it is to build your support network so yeah. if you've got a team that you spend time getting to know each other you're clear about you know the common purpose and, and you want to be together you know you're not just a work group are you of, of collective people you, you want to be together to deliver some positive difference in the world then you are going to care for each other and support each other. And I think that's certainly one of the things I learned uh, was the difference between the military and the corporate world is in the military, people really care for each other. Mm. Okay, there's banter and there's challenge and there's uh, a lot of fun stuff goes on, but fundamentally you do actually really care for each other because you know you're reliant on each other and you trust each other. So in the corporate world, it tends to be a little bit less of that. And it's really interesting there that you said that you need to you know, push people outside the comfort zone, you you need to really be focused on creating people's confidence, I guess, aren't you, is what you're saying, really, that high challenge, high support area. And I often think about you know, how many corporate leaders actually consciously think about, okay, I need to build trust in my team or I need to build the confidence in my team or I need to create this high challenge, high support environment as opposed to I need to hit that KPI or I need to get that done or I've got a red dot on my scorecard here, we need to sort it out or that person there has made a mistake. I need to give them some feedback on that. And I, I'm being very judgmental here, but I guess I'm trying to make a point really. And I know many people aren't like that, but mm. I guess it's trying to get that balance right, isn't it, around as leaders, what what should we be focused on? You know, are we spending enough time 
on developing and supporting and enable our teams to be fully successful. Uh, yeah, and this is it's a good point because this is where it goes back to the beginning, really, in terms of what I've seen a lot of businesses do, particularly if they are creating a team, which, of course, you know, the book is either about creating a new team or, or rejigging a team that you've yeah. already got. But if you are creating a team, what people tend to do is, is they will build the team first uh, and then they'll create strategies. Yeah. Whereas uh, I think it was a uh, Chandler said years ago that, you know, it's actually structure follows strategy. Right. So okay. until you've built or certainly have an idea of a yeah. if you've got a core team and you've got an idea of a strategy, yeah. then you can build the team around that. Because who do you yeah. know who you uh, how do you know who you need? Yeah, there's, you know? there's a, a bit of a challenge there. You, you need a, a good team to create a strategy, don't you? You need to. But actually, and, and this happens a lot in, in growth organizations isn't it, where the team that started the strategy or created it and has grown the business. Sometimes it comes to a point where it's the wrong team now. Yeah. And yeah. you've seen examples of that, haven't you, where high profile leaders will step out of the business because, mm. yeah, they're more entrepreneurial, let's say, and they've grown the business to a certain stage, but now it needs to go into more of a corporate global organization. And actually, they're not like the right person to, to lead that business going forward. So I guess it is about that around, you know, knowing um, what type of team you need, uh, what sort of team players you need, but also teams evolve as well. Yeah. I think one of the mistakes that, that we both see, isn't it, where a leader will join a new team and then immediately bring all the old people from the last job into, the, <laughs> into this new team and yeah. they build that team around it. And actually that, that team might have been the right team for the last job, but might, might not be the team for, for this new job. So I think that's quite no. fascinating how that works. And it's quite courageous to, to do that, you know, to actually, yeah. Yeah, and it, some of that is partly around ego. It, it's parking yeah. your ego and understanding that, you know, the, the good of the, the greater good of the team is always, you know, priority. But yeah, it's parking that ego and having that courage to say, you know, actually step out of the way. Yeah. Or, or initially, you know, like I said, with the, with the culture, having that courage to say the culture isn't right. And interestingly, actually, how, how many times, it's a great question that sort of the book alludes to is how much of that culture is because of you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, certainly in organizations, we've both seen how many where, you know, the culture comes from the top, doesn't it, really? Um, okay, there's some culture comes from the bottom, but fundamentally it's about, from a team point of view, how that team is being led um, will, will set the culture, you know? Yeah. And we've both seen how many where, you know, you've got teams who are really task-focused, trying to deliver too much, and you, you get them to put all the things they're trying to deliver this year on a, on a whiteboard, and it looks like five years' worth of work, and, and actually it's the one year plan sort of type stuff. And <laughs> yeah. you know, the boss um, yeah, has a massive aspirations, wants to prove themselves. And you try and get the team to prioritize the actions and they can't because they're all, all got to be delivered, you know, and it's not possible to deliver them. So it requires that courage then sometimes, isn't it? To, to push back and uh, make sure you do the, what do what's right, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and also simplifying stuff, isn't it? You know, stuff is always overcomplicated and there's always, there's, there's one element of, of the equation that always overcomplicates things and that's human beings. You know, we always yeah. tend to overcomplicate stuff where actually if you stop, you know, and I know it's a great saying that, that's, that, that's used is, you know, speed up by slowing down, but it's absolutely true, you know, stopping, yeah. getting off that hamster wheel and really just simplifying. I mean, one of the, one of the, the, the chapters in the book looks at processes, yeah. you know, whether you love or hate them, processes are vital within a team. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. But, but all too often, and I learned this and, and, and Phil, obviously, and I know, you know, Phil and, and great podcasts yeah. with Phil, um, Phil Davis uh, talk, yeah. talks about this as well, about simplifying the complex. 
Mm. And, you know, it's about getting those processes 100% right. And Phil, Phil uses his rugby uh, experience yeah. and talks about the teams he's worked in that, you know, the simplicity of passing a ball, if you don't get that right, then all the other fancy stuff doesn't work, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And that's so true in teams too. We, we, we talk a lot, don't we, about uh, team processes. And, and one of the areas, of course, is around agreeing what sort of meetings you need as a team. And it, I find it staggering that so many teams, you know, when we start working with them, haven't really worked out how they're going to interact with each other yeah. and the different types of meeting they need. It's all the same stuff in it. They're, they're basically update meetings, aren't they, if we're honest? They're not really proper meetings or decision-making or stuff like that. There's a great, great uh, quote in chapter four, which is about knowledge and decisions. And it says here, it's from Socrates. It says, um, I cannot teach anyone anything. I can only make them think. <laughs> so how, how, do you, how do you, as a leader of a team, get your team to think? Certainly, I, I use, and I, I have done for many years now, I use a coaching approach. And yeah. it, I can sometimes hear a collective uh, yawn when I say the word coaching, because it's one of these words that gets massively overused. Yeah. Um, it, it's really asking the right questions. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's about asking the right question. I mean, in essence, and all the coach, proper coaches out there are now going to be throwing things at, you know, across the room. Saying, <laughs> oh, coaching, there's much more to it than that. Uh, yeah, there is, I'm of sure course there, there is. is. And, and there are some yeah. brilliant coaches out there. Yeah. But actually, in, in essence, if you boil it down, coaching is around asking the right questions. Mm. And that's what leadership mm. is, of course, is asking yeah. the right questions to get the, the answers you need. You know, yeah, if yeah. it's not working, you yeah. review it and change it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, certainly taking that approach, you, mm. you can't tell people stuff. And that, that old school of leadership of, you know, tell, yeah. dictate, you know, and even from the earlier days in the military, it's not yeah. like that. It, it no. can't be like that. It's not possible to have all the answers of the leader, is it? Yeah, you're not the subject matter expert anymore. And it's about leading with questions, isn't it, to get people to think and utilizing you know, all intellectual capital you have in the team, you know, rather than it being you know, one person. And as you know, I, I do a lot around your know, inclusion equals commitment. So when you when you get people to think and you get people to work out what they think the answer is, they're more likely to be committed to get it done because it's the team's idea, not not the leader telling them to do something. So it works uh, in, in both ways. So I'm really guessing that uh, people are, are really interested in the book now and thinking, I need to read this book and I'm going to get so much uh, insight from it. How do, I, how do I get a copy of Team Validations, Dave? Uh, it's in, uh, I, sound, I sound like uh, you're here on the radio, it's in all, all good books. <laughs> it's in, uh, you, you can find it on Amazon and you can uh, find it in Waterstones. So you can go online and find it on those two. Uh, probably the quickest way is to go directly to um, www teamfoundations.co.uk that's probably the quickest way and you can purchase Brilliant. it there i'll, I'll um, put all the uh, all the links into the uh, the podcast notes and uh, i've uh, obviously read the book and obviously been part of the development of the book with you and yeah you know, i i think it's uh, you know, i've i'm actually quoting the back of it you know with phil davis you know phil talks about you know, the international rugby player and coach and uh, a great book with wonderful information on team foundations and you know, my my comment about the book is if you lead a team or you're part of a team, this book is a must read, full of great stories and real life examples. It's your go-to book on teams. So I highly recommend it. People go out there and have a read of it. And more importantly is that, yeah, once you've read it, is to get in contact with you. I'm gonna chat with you about your yeah, ideas and thoughts. And hopefully people have got some real insights now about where you're coming from and, and what you're trying to create with that, that uh, Team Foundations book. But I know that, uh, when you do that and you work with teams, I've seen it in Success Factory, when you do work with teams on a journey, it makes such a huge difference to 
not only just the performance of that team, but also to, to people's lives as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the key reasons I do what I do. Yeah. Seeing, seeing that change. And yeah. it's interesting. And thank you for your comments on the book. Um, I've had some, some feedback from people saying, um, certainly initially saying, and actually it was a great piece of feedback I had from one, one person who's a very, very senior leader. Yeah. And they said, uh, when I first scanned, read the book, I just skimmed, you know, read through yeah. and I thought, God, this is a bit simple. This is, I know all this. Yeah. <laughs> then it gets to a point in the book and it asks a particular question. It says, um, this is simple and it's simple for a reason. And it yeah. might be simple and you might know it, but do yeah. you actually do it? Absolutely. And that's yeah. the difference. That's uh, the beauty and the gift that we bring, isn't it? Which is around decoding complexity. I'm really making it simple for people to, to actually understand it but then more importantly do something with it connect with it and apply it yeah yeah, yeah definitely. definitely so I, I would urge people who are listening right now could you articulate the way you build your teams you know i know phil davis can i know you can i know i can but i guess you know uh, you know, can can you i'm sure lee can as well he can articulate his philosophy and, and the way he develops teams but many leaders go through life without actually sitting down and working out what is it I actually need to do in order to take my team from where it is now, whether it's a new team or an existing team, to where I want to get to? And I think that's quite sad, really. And it's a skill that we can all develop. As you said, it's not rocket science, is it? You know, no. It's a process, it's a journey, and some, some key elements and tools you can use that can make such a big, big difference. And it's a great, great to use the word tools because part, part of my reason for the book was not to have a, a, a one one-stop fix all it, yeah. it's part of a toolkit it's, it's yeah. some ideas yeah. from my experience um yeah. which, which can help as part of other ideas you know and putting all those things together can be quite powerful fantastic thank you dave it's been great talking to you as always uh, i'll put uh, your contact details on linkedin uh, in the notes as well so people can get the book and, and connect with you and explore more about your thoughts and ideas because i know you publish lots of articles and information and share information freely uh, on LinkedIn. So it's all good stuff. So it's been a pleasure. And thank you very much for your time today. And uh, no doubt we'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks, Graham. It's been great. A big thank you for listening to the Leadership Laid Bear podcast with me, Graham Wilson. For more information on our guest leader and to find out how we can support you, check out the links in the description and look out for our next Leadership podcast. Remember, leadership is all about taking action. Make sure you connect and apply the lessons learned. Have fun and bye for now.